Welcome to the Soul Mama podcast, where we have deep and honest conversations about healing, awakening, spirituality, and wellness on this sacred journey of conscious motherhood. We ask how we can walk this path in a way that nourishes, elevates, and heals us and our children. We deserve space and time to slow down and tune in to our hearts, to heal ourselves, and to honor our highest callings. It starts with us. I'm Nahanda Truscott-Reed. I'm a mother, holistic wellness coach, writer, and speaker, and I am passionate about all of the ways we can raise our consciousness and come into more alignment and power as women and mothers. So we can heal the past and make more empowered choices for the future. Our stories and voices matter. It is my intention that these conversations inspire, motivate, and move you on your own Soul Mama journey. I'm so honored that you're here. Mimi Young is a witch, a shamanic intuitive, spirit communicator, and founder of Ceremony, an esoteric brand focusing on education, shamanic readings, plant medicines for skin and aura. Mimi's purpose is to help people connect with their spirits. She does this by integrating core shamanism, plant spirit healing, dream and symbol interpretation, and Chinese esoterics in a safe, practical, and healing way. In this episode, we speak about Mimi's gifts and abilities and what it was like coming out, so to speak, to Chinese parents and how these abilities deepened as Mimi journeyed further into motherhood. So it is such a pleasure to greet you and welcome you onto the Soul Mama podcast. Welcome Mimi Young. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Could you just give the Soul Mama podcast listeners a intro to those who aren't aware of your work, what you do, as to how you've come along on your journey so far? Yes, of course. Uh, so my name is Mimi. I'm of Taiwanese, Chinese descent, um, and I reside in English, what is known as Vancouver, Canada, or in the indigenous uh, um, Names, it would be the Coast Salish. Um, so I live in the Coast Salish regions. And essentially, I am a witch. So I communicate with spirits. I work with energies. And really, the whole piece is to help people connect with their roots, connect with the ancestral roots through spirit, connect with the land, and connect with their bodies as, an, as a form of land in itself. This is the land that we reside in. And to look at their role in this cosmic story of the different roles that we play, um, the sort of purposes that we have, uh, the people that we interact with, the energies we interact with, and then having that approach as one that is deeply integrated and very much alive. It's very interesting because I, like you, uh, describe my work as 
really integrating spirituality into healing and wellness and making that something that's not separate from us and not something that we go and do somewhere else outside of ourselves, but just a whole view on our own lives and our own moment to moment choices. Right. And I've recently had a few people kind of, I guess with fear or uh, a bit of tentativeness for where that spirituality is on a scale um, and this kind of vocabulary that you used of which and people fearing the dark and this sense that um, spirituality could potentially be dangerous or it's kind of moving us beyond a space that we feel comfortable. So I just wanted to come back to that choice of word and what that means for you and what reactions you've had to that when you're working with people. Yeah, of course. So when I use the word witch, I'm using um, it translated from the Mandarin word, which is wu or upo. And in my own um, culture's understanding of witch, she, uh, she embodies a lot of skills and a lot of practices. Um, I think in the West, uh, we would all of a sudden have these additional terms such as shamanic practitioner. Um, meaning being able to spirit travel from this place, this reality that you and I live in, to a place where the spirits reside. So that, that is part of my work. Um, and, and I would say it's a big part of my work. Uh, but I also work with plants um, physiologically. Um, and I have a skin and, and uh, aura care line where one can engage with the spirits through the plants. Um, and of course, it also really holds you uh, in that traditional sense of skin care and body care. Um, but then also, of course, there's that element of the personality of the plants, so the plants being entirely uh, sentient beings that possess wisdom and their own personality and that uh, some protect and some draw energies and you do a lot of, you can accomplish a lot of things by working with plants. So that's another mm. element. Um, and then, of course, I, I, I interpret dreams. Um, I interpret my own dreams. I interpret, you know, dreams for those in my family um, and, uh, of course, friends and, and clients as well. And I typically, when, when the dream is shared with me, it's me being able to decode the symbols. Um, and that's not only done, of course, in dreams, but sort of in your, your waking life, like, nature omens or numbers coming in a series of whatever. Um, all these things have a symbolic meaning and a spiritual parallel. I follow the lunar calendar, which is very, very um, Chinese. And the various festivals are associated with uh, the moon. Um, and, you know, following one's lunar calendar is also being really um, aware um, and celebratory of one's menstrual mm -hmm. cycle. Um, so all these pieces, when I'm given the task of like, what do you do for a living? I tend to say witch or shamanic intuitive because there, there are so many pieces that layer on this idea of witch. But yes, absolutely. It is a loaded word. And yeah, for some, it is viewed as dangerous. And I think it's a healthy one to ask oneself why it's seen as dangerous. Who told you it's dangerous? Um, the, the person or the authority, let's mm -hmm. say, that claims it's dangerous. What is their stake in it when they call it dangerous? 
How does it impact your own sovereignty when you shy away from that? Um, I think those are the important conversations in uh, in understanding, you know, the loadedness of the term witch in the first place. We could probably have a whole conversation just around that because it yeah. does, it takes into account history, it takes into account cultural lenses that we inherit, it takes into account, you know, patriarchy and the suppression of women's power, it takes into account what we've come to fear and how we negate and give over our own power in so many ways in regards to our health and our well-being and our autonomy and our sovereignty. So, so I think that's a really juicy place to actually begin. And I wondered, in, in your life, how did those skills and gifts become known to you? I would say it's it's so much, um, and yet so little. Uh, so little meaning so much because it you know it's it's a it's a big question. Um, and no, like it was I didn't grow up in a home where it was discussed. Um, or where I was encouraged. And I would say most people who live a fairly mainstream, westernized life can identify with that to a certain degree. In some ways, when I finally did uh, consciously embrace it and make that decision, um, it was relatively simple because then all the, sort of, all the pieces sort of came together. Um, and to answer that with a bit more detail, I, as long as I can remember, I spoke to plants and I could hear them. Like This is very, very early childhood, like pre-verbal. Like, so before I was speaking um, in my mother tongue Mandarin and then later on English, um, I was speaking with plants and my friends were plants and I named my dolls plants. I still have a doll from my childhood. Um, her name is Celery, the Kepter, which is like my favorite doll. Um, and, and yeah, like all the sort of the, my early, early childhood memories was, was this awareness that plants were very much uh, people, um, maybe not human, but certainly they're beings. Um, and then throughout my childhood, I would notice strange little things, things like I would think of something and then it would happen, or I would really, really want something to happen. It's something that would seem on the surface, like completely unrealistic or like insurmountable. And then boom, it happens. And, but I didn't really have the language or even felt, I intuitively didn't feel that it was safe to discuss. Imagination wasn't really embraced. Mm. And, and A, I knew I wasn't imagining things, but even if I said it, it was just my imagination. It, it, I would be uh, chided for that. You know, when one uh, is in a home and also a culture or a school kind of thing where you're you're only allowed to be imaginative in these very strict confines and everything else means that you are not credible. Um, you, you don't really want to stick out and keep in mind. Um, I grew up in the eighties where, uh, like I was like a very, very visible minority. Um, and I didn't really want to stick out any more than I, I did. I that. Uh, yeah. Right, like it's it like it's it's enough. Yeah. I became aware that I had a, a psychic gift called clairfactance, uh, which is uh, perceiving the psychic realm or perceiving intuition through your the sense of smell. So, like I, I don't see things, let's say I don't hear things in that traditional sort of clairvoyant or clairaudient way, other than with plants. Um, but. Uh, Yes, yeah, so, but I can smell things. And in the first time, I, I distinctly recall smelling something. I later wrote about it. It's called Smells Like Teen Gossip. It's a reference to, you know, the grunge yeah, times. Yeah. Essentially, I smelt 
that a, a girl uh, in my, you know, in my high school was saying some inaccurate things about me as a way mm-hmm. to hurt me. I learned to discover uh, through that, that, that deception or dishonesty has mm-hmm. a smell. And then later on, I associated smells with certain people or smells with certain like likely events. Um, and uh, oftentimes it would be like spirit's way of nudging me to check up on someone that I really loved and maybe they had a really difficult day or maybe they needed help. Um, and sometimes it would be like a smell and I knew like this thing would happen. Um, and, it, and it still happens to this day. Um, for instance, it was my um, partner's uh, turn to put the, the, the kids to bed. Um, and I smelt that the stove was on. And so I messaged in this past bedtime. So I, uh, I, I, I smelt it. And so I messaged him and I was like, what are you cooking? And like, I caught him red handed. Like he was making a snack mm. for the kids, like past bedtime. <laughs> so like, these are like little things that happen. So yeah, so that was another piece. Um, but all, all when this is happening, like I, I was, I was actually really quite bothered by it. Um, because I, I, it's taken like decades to actually know what these gifts really mean. Um, and when one doesn't feel safe to own oneself and really like uh, has been taught to stay small, um, it's, it really does threaten your identity, like even one's perception of who they are. Um, and so I, I mostly kept it in the closet mm-hmm. Um and uh, my mom, she attended um, church. So she's an evangelical born-again Christian. My dad's an atheist. And so it didn't really matter because if I approached my dad about it, he would have just used science as the answer. You know, this is like not scientific and therefore it doesn't exist. Like that would be sort of the default answer from him. And anything for my mom, it would be, well, this is from the devil. So um, yeah, like it, it was just like all these factors that add to the closeting of me as an intuitive. Um, and it wasn't until I was pregnant with my second child, um, and there were a number of miscarriages after uh, the birth of my first child. Um, and so when I did become pregnant with my second child, um, I wasn't even sure if it would be like a viable pregnancy. And then there was pro- complications to the pregnancy, which led me to be on like a five and a half month bed right. rest, very strict bed rest during the pregnancy. Um, and then I had a really profound um, shamanic experience where I, uh, I traveled to that other place and I spoke with spirits and they shared some things that were just like there's just no way that I would have been able to make it up. And that was the event that sort of sealed the deal. Do you feel that the, the pregnancy was part of the catalyst for your openness and your availability for that kind of experience? Absolutely. I would say even with my first pregnancy, um, I thought, and I don't know about you, but I thought that the birthing process was a huge rite of passage and and an initiation of sorts, right? I feel like you could call it a shamanic journey because you you are actually going to another realm and you either are or not coming back with or without your child, right? So there is a depth and a letting go of all of the... Uh, the kind of felt senses of what's real because you're going deep, deep down into another place where you're literally 
having the opportunity to come back with a new earthside being. And I find just that journey like no other, but I feel like pregnancy and miscarriage and all of the stages of womanhood have this opportunity to transform and to awaken us more deeply into these senses and these awarenesses. You know, I, I talk about it as the veil lifting and getting really thin. And I think that happens obviously on a kind of planetary level or a collective level. But when we're going through the journey of motherhood, it happens in these really potent um, windows that, you know, women might experience increased creativity or, you know, increased sensitivity to certain things or, you know, kind of dismiss things as hormones or emotions. And I always encourage women to be like, look deeper, like there are symbols, there are messages, there is medicine, there is so much here in this opportunity for you and for the the child. You know, if you're able to kind of uh, discern and be aware of those subtleties that you almost get the gifts and the keys that you need to work with that particular child absolutely yeah like down to naming the child right like and I really believe when you name a child it's not just because it's a nice name it's a pretty name it's a cute name a fashionable name or whatever it's like you are assigning an identity symbolically um and I felt for me it was like spirit flowing through me it wasn't like an intellectual exercise like I just I looked at his face and I knew I knew what his purpose would be just by looking at his face and then the name um, corresponded accordingly, right? Like, um, yeah, yeah, no, a thousand times in agreement with what you just said. So how did you maneuver what sounds like quite a a difficult pregnancy, especially having had several miscarriages in between your first child and your second, how did you balance the growing awareness of these shamanic abilities with the fact that you're going along a journey that you can't guarantee anything. I mean, we're doing that every day anyway, but you know, I think there must've been that sense of potential fear or doubt or that sense of vulnerability in that space of time. I'm smiling as you're saying this because one thing I didn't share just yet, and we'll share now, was the day I began hemorrhaging. This was week 14. So technically I was past the danger right. zone, right, of the first trimester. And um, I was making uh, breakfast for my my older son. Um, at the time, he was my only son. Um, and, uh, and I felt like wetness between my legs. And so I was like, I knew what was happening. So I rushed to the washroom and I see the blood and I'm just like completely mm-hmm. crestfallen because that's how the other miscarriages yeah. had began. And then so I'm cleaning myself up, you know, putting on like one of those really thick pads. Um, and then I hear the doorbell and my son did too. And we both go downstairs and we open the door and there's no human there, but across the street on my neighbor's lawn was a heron, a great blue heron looked at on Like he was on the grass. He looked at me and then he flew away. And that was when I knew that the child that was in me would live. So I actually didn't have any apprehension about whether or not uh, the pregnancy, like until that point, like from, you know, from that first trimester, those first few weeks, I I did have a lot of anxiety and a lot of uncertainty. Um, But when I 
met with Heron, I just knew. I knew exactly why uh, that was there. And I just knew that part of the work, whatever it may be, um, was to have a challenging pregnancy, but but the child would, would be fine. Wow. And so I wondered if there was anything that you did differently with your second pregnancy and birth and postpartum recovery and just that that journey into motherhood, having claimed the parts of yourself that you had denied and suppressed uh, originally. After my older one was born, um, a lot changed. Like, you know, I had uh, we we left church, for instance. At, at one point, um, I was attending church um, as well, um, and because my my mother, you know, when I was younger, she had an immense uh, influence on me. So essentially, whatever mother wanted, um, I would do um, because she she knew best. And I don't want to say this in a way that is disrespectful, because in many ways, like she really did have an immense. Um, sense of wisdom mm. and inner knowing, but there's, but I did realize after, uh, like I knew it already, um, in the undercurrent, but after my older son was born, um, I knew that I wasn't her and I, I couldn't possibly try to be her and she's who she is and I'm who mm. I am. Um, so a lot of that sort of decolonizing, um, and, and, deprogramming and uh, relearning happened uh, in that seven-year span. How did I do things differently? Well, first of all, there, there was very, very little anxiety um, in, in, that, in the pregnancy for my second child. Uh, after the visit with the heron, there was basically none. It was more, if anything, impatience because I was like, I can't wait to meet this child. Like I knew it was going to happen. And so it was, yeah, if anything, it was that. And it's funny because my second is actually a very impatient <laughs> child. So I wonder if my, if that energetic kind of, you know, he's an Aries. Like, so I'm like, I, I think it rubbed off. I, a little I bit. completely <laughs> think that, yeah, in that, that symbiotic relationship from conception through pregnancy and the first year, like we are completely rubbing off on all parts of ourselves <laughs> onto our child. And, you know, even epigenetically, certain parts of our DNA are being activated, depending on where we're at energetically, spiritually, emotionally, and what we need to kind of give that child and pass down to them. So I'm sure that he perhaps picked up a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For better or for worse. <laughs> uh, a big one I did notice that was different was I became so aware at, this is a bit of a, an oxymoron. Like I, I felt so loved by spirit. I felt so loved by the cosmos. Yet I understood I am nothing more than a speck. And that even the earth herself is literally a tiny speck in a tiny, tiny, tiny solar system that's part of a tiny, tiny galaxy. Like, like the vastness of life and existence is so great that it is literally infinite and you know humans don't really understand this concept of infinite we just know it's bigger than big <laughs> right grander than grand so i became really aware of my role or my part in this story in this big big whatever you want to call it um unfold and so yeah and and just understanding that like we all live in myth and i don't mean myth in the sense of um the non-factual i mean myth in the sense of like really 
potent narratives and um, big lessons mm. and big triumphs and big closure and big mysteries and love, like lots and lots of love, right? Like that's really what myths are about. And me realizing, yeah, I've got a place in this and that we all do. Um, and yeah, I would say that was distinctly different. That was what was present for that pregnancy for my second child versus I didn't have that kind of um, that lens uh, with my first child. I was much more uh, myopic. I was much more like, this is the pregnancy and this is what's happening and all these changing things in my body. Uh, whereas the second one, it's like I was already aware of those and I embraced it differently, um, but I was really just aware of the grandness of it all. I love that. And I find it really interesting that you describe that kind of like a breaking away of sorts with the relationship and the identification with needing to please your mother and that coming from your own mm -hmm. entrance into motherhood and I think there is so much change that happens in the mother-daughter relationship when the daughter becomes a mother and I, I speak about you know healing the mother line and about how motherhood is a real opportunity for that kind of awakening and for that kind of healing not only just with you and your mother but up the line you know ancestrally as well and I wondered if you could speak to that in a little uh, and and whether those were actual conversations that you had or whether that was an internal reckoning of how you wanted to orientate yourself in that relationship? Um, it was definitely both. I would say that uh, before the external reckoning between the two of us, um, there was a lot of internal uh, confrontation, I, you know, lots of demons really, um, and understand that there's uh, the shadow side of mother um, that creates the wounds. Um, and then also, of course, all the all the light and all the potentials that could be really uh, fabulous. Um, and and yeah, I, I would say that was difficult, right, to detach um, from the umbilical cord, so to speak. And it's interesting how uh, many of us we don't do that until we are well into our adulthood. Some of us never have the opportunity or that kind of spark to go into the depth of that relationship. But for me, it's so present and it's so necessary. Like I found raising my own two children, there's been a complete replaying of my own childhood from many, many different angles. Yes. Like, you know, yes. and we speak about reparenting, but it's like I'm almost able to kind of step into my mother's shoes and see the decisions that she made and the circumstances that she was in and how she must have felt and how my perspective as a child was completely limited. And now having been a mother myself, how I can really mm. head to a 360 and see how that must have felt for her, you know, at least more than I could have done before that. There is a growth in um, awareness, but also in compassion for me. Um, there was a lot of gratitude. I held so much anger for a long time, you know, and a lot of resistance and resentment around what could have been or what should have been or what wasn't. And then I was like, you know what? Like, you did good. Like, there was a sense of like, you did the best that you could with what you had and you made that work, you know, for both me and my brother. And so there was a a real humbleness that came from becoming a mother mm -hmm. and realizing like, wow, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm now entering into what feels really hard and you did that without much support. And so that for, was for me, one of the major things that came out of becoming a mother is that just 
you know, the deepening gratitude, but then also realizing that, you know, a lot of those choices, I don't have to replay. I can choose differently and I have space and I, I want to make those choices consciously rather than reactionally. And that to me is right. what the gift of conscious motherhood conscious parenting conscious living is is being able to kind of see how these things have played out generationally see where the patterns are and how people are defaulting and then see your part in as you say in the story and decide from that point on how do I want to play out the rest of that how do I choose my path in this bigger unfolding which is my family which is my lineage which is my ancestry so that's where we're going to leave this first part of the conversation with Mimi Young. I really love Mimi's invitation to think about motherhood as a shamanic journey. Shamanic really just gets us to understand the symbolisms and the layers of meaning that we're experiencing life through all the time and to become attuned with those signs and those symbols. I also really appreciated how much uh, the relationships that we have with our own mothers get tested when we become mothers ourselves and this is something that I always get my clients to reflect on you know what what changes if you were a mother already has already occurred and if you're not a mother how can you bridge some of those conversations now to prepare for that time in a way that can be really mindful and easeful and draws you closer to your mother if that's something that you desire um, for our own unfolding into motherhood so i look forward to uh, touching in with you again on the other side stay well stay blessed Thank you so much for listening. Head over to www.soulmamajourney.com for more resources, including the Soul Mama blog, the show notes to each episode with links and references to everything mentioned, and for more ways to work with me one-to-one. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at Soul Mama Coach for more personal shares and updates, and you can email me at nahanda at soulmamajourney.com. I so love to hear from you. Share the love with your friends, family, and anyone who would benefit from listening to this. And if you could take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, wherever you've listened to it, that really helps more people to discover it. Thank you. I appreciate you. Stay blessed.